Now, I know that's primarily aimed at men, right? I know it is me. And asking for directions? Heaven forbid. I mean, what are phones for now, right? You don't, you just plug it into your phone and that voice comes over and tells you exactly where, where to go. But when all else fails, read the instructions. Well, see, the point is that a project is much, much simpler if we first take the time to read the directions. Follow the instructions when we try to put the item together. And it's the same with our lives. Same with our lives. We have the basic instructions. We have the owner's manual from our Creator as to how to construct our lives and to live our lives. Matter of fact, someone once said that the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. I like that. Basic instructions before leaving earth. See, God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die in our place a cruel, cruel death in order to win, in order to buy our redemption. The wages of sin is death. Christ Jesus died on Calvary's cross, shed his precious blood that we might have life, that we might have it abundantly. Now, if our loving Heavenly Father is going to go to such extreme measures to purchase our redemption, I guarantee you He is going to preserve His Word. He's going to make sure that His Word is true, and He's going to protect it. He is going to preserve it. And the basic instruction before leaving earth, you you need to realize, each and every one of us, is that one day we are going to be leaving earth, either via death or the, the rapture. But we are going to be leaving earth. And God loves us so much that He's given us His Word and said, here you go, folks. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the inspired Word of God. And He calls on us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, women that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, unfortunately though, the vast majority of folks would rather put the pieces of their lives together without the benefit of the manual, and so they ignore the manual, their lives are falling apart, they end up with spare pieces. I know I've tried to put baby beds together before, a long time ago, but I always end up with spare pieces, no matter what I've tried to put together. Or parts that were missing. Where did I put that part? But God has given us the instruction manual. And all the pieces fit together perfectly as we are workmen and as we are students of God's Word and we study. Terrible results when we set this book aside and we don't study as we should. This morning, turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 16. 
Now, I want you to know, as we prepare to celebrate 80 years of St. Louis Bible Fellowship, the thing about St. Louis Bible Fellowship is that we have always, whether it was Pastor Ruler or Pastor Stringham or me, we have stood on the Word of God. This is a Bible church. We are a Bible-believing church. And we stand on the authority of God's Word. And we don't apologize for it. We don't apologize for believing in God's Word. So next week as we celebrate God's, this church's 80th anniversary, we're going to be talking a lot about standing on the promises. We're going to be talking a lot about faithful service. But we're going to be talking about this precious book, this Word of God, and passing it down to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's critical. So we're going to be talking about that next week. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Verse 17 answers that. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. People of God, is it your desire to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works so you know how to serve God? So you know how to, to, to live for Him and to work for Him? Well, in order to do that, you've got to know His Word. We've got to tr- trust His Word. But all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It means that it is God-breathed. I heard a guy say, it's been quite some time ago, but I had a, I had a pretty liberal pastor one time t- tell me uh, about this verse, because I'd mentioned something about all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God is God-breathed. And he said, well, no, 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 no. He said, all Scripture that's inspired is good for reproof and correction and righteousness but not all scripture I went, but wait a minute that's what it says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God well no all the scripture that's inspired do you see the danger as a matter of fact there's one of the reasons why there are so many liberal churches out there that are in such danger today is because they've taken on that attitude well, there are certain scriptures that are inspired, and let us tell you which ones they are, so we'll know what to believe, what to reject, what to accept, what to embrace, what to cast out, what to tear out. That's the reason the church is in the mess it's in today, and not nearly as effective as it ought to be. Me, I'm not smart enough to try to figure out that type of stuff, but what I can do is read. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it is to be studied. It is to be applied to our lives daily in order to know what it is that God would have us to do. But all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable. It's beneficial for doctrine. And I think it's interesting because we are a doctrinal church. We teach doctrine. We have a statement of faith. We believe that doctrine is absolutely important as you serve God and as you study, study His Word. 
It's doctrine that tells us what it is that we believe about God, who He is, about His plan of salvation, about His directions for, for our lives. It's, it's doctrine that tells us about the attributes of God and the doctrine of sanctification and justification and redemption. The doctrine of prayer, the doctrine... Well, every, every Bible truth has to do with doctrine. Doctrine is critical. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I wish you'd preach more practical-type sermons. Practical sermons are doctrine. The doctrine is what you believe. I had another person tell me, another liberal, and, uh, but that's okay. We need to reach out to them. But uh, when he said, you fundamentalist, you, you just drive me crazy. Okay, I'm a fundamentalist. A fundamental, somebody that's a fundamentalist, basically what they believe are the basic tenets of the faith. See, I have never been able to understand why somebody would deny what it is they believe. And, and I'm an extreme fundamentalist when it comes to believing God's Word. Now, there's a difference between extreme fundamentalist in the Muslim faith and an extreme fundamentalist in the Christian faith. We're going to be looking at some of those scriptures in a second. But I am a fundamentalist. I believe what the Bible says. If you don't believe what the Bible says, what describes you as having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. See, I've, I've never quite understood why people would run from the precious Word of God and not embrace it as the truth from a God who loves us and cares for us as we talk about the attributes of God. But doctrine is so important where it comes, where it has to do with prayer or it has to do with whatever. This past Friday, let me give you an example real quick. I probably shouldn't take the time to do it, but I think it's important uh, because we find ourselves in, in meetings with other believers. God, God bless them. We, uh, it's, it's good to be with other believers, especially this past Friday. Uh, I was invited to a... Uh, a huge prayer breakfast with uh, Bill Federer. I know many of you know Bill Federer. Just love him. God bless him. And uh, so a bunch of pastors here in St. Louis got together and we met at the uh, Hilton Fontenac. If you got to have a breakfast, Hilton Fontenac is the place to do it, okay? It was just really nice. And uh, it was in a great big, it was in the ambassador room and we're ambassadors for Christ. So I thought, how oh, they named that for us. And it was, it was a great breakfast, and it, it was a great time. The music was great. Uh, Bill Federer did a superb job in, in, in speaking. And then it came time for prayer, and there was about maybe 20, 15 to 20 different pastors that walked up on the podium, and they, and they prayed, and, and it, was, it was a moving time. And uh, it, was, it was a great time of prayer for our country, for our president, uh, for, for this nation, for all the churches, for, for courage to stand, all the things that we need to be praying for today. But one of the things that somebody prayed for, and I've never understood this, because it's not scriptural. As a matter of fact, I think it's anti-scriptural. But I've heard this my entire life, that when you pray, that 
and, they, and one of the first people who prayed, they did this. They, they came and they prayed, Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus. And I went, wait a minute, and I researched, that's nowhere in Scripture. Why do we plead something that is freely given? Why do we plead something that was shed abundantly on our behalf? That's what I'm talking about, doctrine. Why do we add a traditional, a little quip? Maybe it sounds spiritual, but it's not biblical. See, we need to know what doctrine, what the Bible says concerning those things. Folks, let me tell you something. The blood of Christ does not need to be pleaded. The blood of Christ shed, that was shed on Calvary's cross is free. It was poured out on your behalf, my behalf, of all the things I need to plead. I don't even need to plead forgiveness. I don't need to plead it. Yeah, you ask for it, but you don't need to plead it. God is so gracious. He is so merciful. He is so giving. Eternal life is a gift from God. We don't have to plead anything. We believe that He gives it to those that He loves. He gives it to those who believe. And He loves loves the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But that's what I'm talking about when I, when I say we, we need to know doctrine. We need to know what the Bible says. And we could go on and on because there's a whole bunch of things like that. But maybe one of these days we'll do an entire sermon on that. But that was just one of them that just jumped out at me. We don't have to plead the blood. But doctrine is so important. The right doctrine is important. And that's why we study to show ourselves approved. That's the reason we rightly divide the Word and we, we keep talking about rightly dividing the Word of truth so we understand the glorious truth of eternal security and, and our prayer life and all. So the Word of God is beneficial. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for reproof. Reproof is a means of conviction. I don't know about you, but when I study God's Word, I am convicted. It's one of the ways I know the Holy Spirit indwells is because He speaks through His Word. I study His Word. I read His Word. And oh my, it is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness that it's true or bear witness that there are things in my life I need to work on. So the whole idea of reproof indicates, advocates for judgment. You understand that? Well, I, I, I can't tell you how many times, oh, judge not, or you're judging. N- n- no, I'm, this is reproof. I'm, I'm not judging you, but whew, let me tell you what God's Word says about what you're doing. So it's not me judging. See, God's Word is profitable for reproof so that we can hold it up and say, thus saith the Lord. Not be ashamed of saying, thus saith the Lord. profitable for bringing conviction to that person that's reading. The gospel itself is the power of God into salvation. You share the gospel with someone who is lost. It is powerful. It's the power of God into salvation. What's beneficial for reproof, for correction, 
And I like that correction part. The Bible is, let's face it, the Bible is a book of do's and don'ts. And man, am I glad. Because there is no telling what kind of trouble I would be in if it were not for the fact that it's a book of do's and don'ts. I remember years and years ago, long time ago, I think I was in the either second or third grade. don't think I was in the fourth. Might have been. So it was a long time ago. There was, in our subdivision there in Montgomery, Alabama, there was a drainage ditch at the end of our cul-de-sac. And all the big kids would always go down to that drainage ditch. And if it rained a little bit, there was always kind of water running through it. But the big kids would go down and they would have a good time. I mean, big kids, they were 9 and 10. Right? So they were, they were big kids. And I always wanted to go down there. And my dad would say, Ricky, don't you go down there. I'm telling you, boy, stay away from that drainage ditch. But, oh, man, they were having so much fun. And they'd let a little bit of water, and they'd get up there, and they'd pounce down in that water and splash around. Well, one day the temptation was just too much. One day it had rained just the right amount, and those kids were down there, and they were having a great time, and they were splashing around, and there was nobody, I didn't think anybody was, was watching. And so I went down there, and it came my turn to jump from the, it was up, up high and, and like a, a thousand miles down, jumped, jumped, and I don't know why those other kids had not landed on that broken glass bottle. I tell, oh, I tell you why. I think God was saying, "Okay, I'm going to teach you a lesson." And I jumped down, and my foot hit that broken glass, and it sliced my foot. And the blood came squirting out, and I had to be rushed to the doctor to get that stitched up. Now, was my dad trying to thwart all of my fun by telling me, don't you go down to that drainage ditch? Or do you think he was trying to tell me what was really best for me, what was good for me? Was it out of love that he told me not to go down? Or was it because he just wanted to ruined my fun I'm telling you it was out of love but I'm hard headed and I don't always learn quickly because it wasn't too much time after that across the street the neighbor girls they get you in trouble I'm telling you the neighbor girls daddy in their yard had the best climbing tree in all that area and I wanted to climb that tree, but that other limb was just, that first limb was just too high. Until their daddy built uh, a chain link fence right up against that tree. You know, that's the, those chain link fences with the kind of cyclone, you know what kind of, they have those spikes like that that stick up. <laughs> and, but that was just the right length that I could, height that I could climb up and I could reach that first limb 
And I could climb, and I managed to climb up, and all of those little girls were watching, and the boys were watching, and, and I thought I was hot stuff. I was going to show them how to climb. I wasn't old enough to learn how to recognize a rotten limb yet, though. And I remember climbing up, and I grabbed that one limb, and it broke, and down I fell, and my head went right into... Okay, now we know what's wrong with him. My head... <laughs> went right into that, that fence. But my leg caught hold of the limb that I, that I could reach. My leg caught that limb, and I hung there with my head stuck in the, in the cyclone fence, and my limb on the leg, I know. <laughs> Lunch will be served right after. Uh, and the, the neighbor next door, he saw it. He comes running over, and he literally has to just pick me up off of that. Now, my dad had told me, don't climb that tree. My daddy had told me many times, don't do stuff like that, son. It's not good for you. He was correcting me because he loves me. Valuable lessons we understand from God's Word when it says, do not, and it says, do. And I praise God for that. It's not because he wants to... Stop all of our fun. But it's because he wants us to know how to live our lives in order to please him. He knows what's good for us. He knows what's best for us. And that's what he wants as we serve him. See, God's word has a code of conduct. Look at Romans. Look at Romans. Chapter 12. Here in a few Wednesday nights, we're going to finally make it to Romans 12. But look at Romans chapter 12. Start with verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Let love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. How are you going to know what's good or evil if you don't know what God's Word says? Because I'm going to tell you what the world says is good is evil. And what the world says today is evil is good. I guarantee you. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you and bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, not consent to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men." have a hard time with that one sometime when I watch the news, but that's, that's another thing. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Folks, I am a fundamentalist extremist when it comes to believing that type of truth. Do you believe that? 
then you're a fundamentalist. Do you believe it with your whole heart and with your whole mind? Then you're a fundamentalist. See, that's, that's what a loving God tells us. That's what He instructs us to do. And then there's that instruction in righteousness. Instruction in the rightness of God. God's Word gives us directions in how to live holy, separated lives unto Him. Folks, that should be our goal. That should be our goal. To live separated lives. Our desire as children of God, members of the body of Christ, should be to please the Lord. And where do we learn how to do that? How do we learn? Where do we go to learn how to please the Lord? In His Word. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I think the most difficult and trying times come when we neglect the precious Word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Psalm 119.9 Tells the young man to search the scriptures because in so doing, it's a cleansing agent. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to thy word. How important that is. God's word is our instruction in righteousness. And if we expect to grow in Christ, we must mature in his word and understanding of his word. Sermon number one. Sermon number two. No, I actually just had two different pads. Folks, we need to understand that the scriptures are extremely or extraordinary, an extraordinary miracle from God. The scriptures that we have to study are a gift, they are a miracle. 66 books, 66 books written over a period of 1,600 years by 45 different authors over 2,000 years ago, and it still stands as the number one book sells in the world. It's God's Word. You talk about a miracle and the continuity of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation concerning the amazing creation and the fall and now the recreation and the restoration from beginning to end, the fall, I mean the creation and the fall and the end, the, the recreation and the restoration. Oh, what, what continuity? It's a miracle. It literally is a miracle as we study. And our entire faith structure is based on the fact that we believe the Bible to be the infallible, complete Word of God. And folks, you need to understand that if it can be proven wrong in one area, whether it be historically, whether it be scientifically, whether it be doctrinally, then might as well throw it out. Can't trust it. What part's right? What part's wrong? But rest easy. It never has, nor will it ever be proven wrong. It is God's Word, the one who created us. I never worry about turning the news on and hearing them say, well, today it was determined 
or today we found out that the Bible is not true in this area. Won't happen. Won't ever happen. It is God's Word. It is true. And it continues the continuity, its survival, the testimonials, all prove, comes together to prove that the Bible is right after all. As a matter of fact, uh, Albright, the great archaeologist, he set out years and years ago to prove that the Bible was false, that the Bible was not true. He spent his entire life to prove archaeologically that the Bible was in error, that it was, uh, it was wrong. You know his conclusion at the end of his life? His famous quote, The Bible is right after all. Now there may be scientific discoveries or there may be thoughts where people say, oh, see, this proves the Bible to be wrong. <laughs> but the bottom line is, science just hadn't figured it out yet. I mean, it was the Bible that told, them, told us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Scientists are just now catching up for that truth. It, it, was, it was the Word of God that talked about how the winds blow and the circuits uh, of the earth function. And we finally got weather satellites to go up there and go, wow. The Bible is right. So many other things they think, but what about evolution? You know, evol folks, that can't be anything that is less scientific than the theory of evolution. It is absolutely an error. And it's just man's way of trying to devise a way to explain how we got here without accepting the fact that there's a creator. So they have to come up with something. So that's what evolution does. It, it actually takes more faith to be an evolutionist than it does a creationist. And that's a fact. Matter of fact, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a, a believer. But God's Word, oh, how powerful. If you remember, I mentioned years ago that Voltaire, the French philosopher, he wrote during the Enlightenment period back in the 17th century. You know, he made the, the comment that, uh, that in 25 years that the Bible would be forgotten and that Christianity would be a thing of the past. It's one of his famous quotes. But 40 years after his death in 1778, the Bible and other Christian literature were being printed in what had once been his home. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. There have never been any scientific discoveries to discredit the Bible. The more our scientists learn, the more the Bible proves to be right. Whether it's in the DNA, whether it be in the galaxies that we explore. <laughs> Bottom line is we serve an awesome God who has given us an awesome owner's manual. Historically, it'll never be proven in error. I remember one time, real quick, I remember one time someone said, well, uh, they, they had thought that historically the Bible was wrong because it put so much emphasis on Israel, and Israel wasn't even a nation, and blah, 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 blah. And so a lot of covenant theologians started believing, well, maybe there's a problem with the Scripture because there's talks about Israel. And today, <laughs> Israel is in the news daily. So just because there was a short period of time, historically, 
it looked like it was a dark, bleak time, doesn't mean that God's will and purpose are going to be halted. I trust God more than I do history. And I, I did have somebody tell me one time, well, how in the world is the whole world going to see Christ when he returns? Well, hey, the whole world could see me if they wanted to right now. So don't, don't tell me that that's not possible. And there, there's one time that Bill said, well, the Bible's right, wrong because, look, it says that the whole world's going to see him, that the whole world's going to worship the Antichrist. How are you going get to get the whole world to do that? It's possible it's going to happen because of what God's Word says. There's so much more. One of these days we'll do a more thorough study on what God's Word says. But in these difficult times, as we study God's Word, I want to close with this scripture. Turn with me. Well, two more scriptures. Turn, turn with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Verse 11. Isaiah 55, verse 11. What a joy it is to be able to stand here and preach God's Word and know this verse is in the book, okay? So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Oh, what an awesome God we serve. It is not based on my talent, by my ability, by anything that I could manage to do. But this is God's Word, and as Howard read in the memory verse for this week, it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Look at Isaiah 11. Oh, folks. Uh, Isaiah 40. The heathen rage, the world is in controversy, the, the sabers are rattling, the spears are being sharpened. It's a frightening place, except God's not given us a spirit of fear. But Isaiah 40, verse 11, oh no, Isaiah 40, verse 8, Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withereth. The flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And he allows us, he invites us, he inspires us to study. And as we study, as we pour over these pages, it is the Holy Spirit that works. How do I know that the Bible is God's Word? Yet there is so much evidence from the continuity to the survival to the testimonials uh, all down through the years. But it is the fact that when I study, it is the Holy Spirit that convinces me that this is God's love letter. This is God's instruction manual. That this is God's way of telling us His plan his purpose for my future for your future for our lives and one of the things God's word tells us 
is that He loves us so much that He offers salvation through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, who is God. That's doctrine. That doctrine that we study to show that Christ is God in the flesh. And we worship Him. And He loves us so much that He went to that extreme measure to die on a cross and to pay the debt. The wages of sin is death. He knew no sin. But that we might be made the righteousness of God, He took upon Himself that payment. And He paid it in full. And if you're here this morning and you have never believed that Christ died for you, well, I'm here to tell you two things. Number one, He did. He did. And number two, by believing that He took your place, by believing that He was buried, by believing that the tomb is empty, that He rose again, and trusting Him, not thinking, oh, okay, but I've, I've got to go do something. I've got to do some work for Him. That comes after your salvation. That comes after you're redeemed. That comes after you're a child of God. That comes after, out of appreciation for what He's done. That all comes in. Yeah, we're created unto good works. But there's not a thing you can do to earn it. There's not a thing you can do to merit it. It is God's free gift. And by faith, you trust Him. And His finished work. Amen? If you haven't done that this morning, let me encourage you to do that. In the quietness of this moment, by faith believe that Christ died for you. Believe that this is His book. This is His instruction manual. What a Savior. What a God. The only way we can know Him is that He chose to reveal Himself to us. You, you, you realize that we're finite. God's infinite. We're limited. And were it not for the fact that God chose to reveal Himself to us, we couldn't know Him. We might wonder about a lot of stuff. But God chose to reveal Himself in His written Word, but oh, it gets even better through the living Word. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are that you have called us to be soldiers of the cross. You've called us to be students of your word. You've called us to be ambassadors. Father, by faith, may we do that. May we understand your calling on each and every one of our lives. Father, not just the pastor, not just the elders, not just the deacons. Father, every single one of us who have been washed clean in the blood of Christ might understand their role in sharing the gospel. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted Christ, by faith they'll understand that they are a sinner and they need a Savior. And you furnished that salvation. You're willing You're ready, you're able to make them new creations. Father, we thank you for that truth. Now, Father, this week we just pray that you will use us to bring glory and honor to you. Now, Father, this morning we we also pray for Linda Hahn. I, I forgot to mention Linda a while ago. We lift Linda up. 
Pray for Ralph Blaine, who's not doing well. Father, we lift this brother up. Father, we pray your healing touch on, on these dear friends. Now, Father, you use us this week. Bring us back next week ready to worship, ready to praise, ready to exalt you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.